This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. World attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three... Two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Slater, Crusaders America is the greatest country in the world. Thanks so much for being here. Hour two of the Mike Slater Show. I'm really grateful that you're here. Slater Radio on Twitter. We can hang out throughout the show. Uh, we have the the craziest story for you, and I'm really glad that uh, John and his son uh, Isaac were able to to be here and tell us all of it. I, I wanted to tell the story the other day, but I it it like I can't like my brain can't handle it, and I there's no way to make sense of it because it doesn't make sense. So we had to go right to the source. And uh, John Duarte is here. How are you, sir? I'm good, Mike. Good to be here. Really glad you guys are here. So uh, tell us about Duarte Nursery and, and where you guys are. Well, Duarte Nursery is a family-owned company owned by my brother and I now, but it's a actually a multi-generational company that my parents and my brother and I founded in 1989. Uh, after being in the nursery business here in San Diego County, we actually had Otay Nursery out on Otay Mesa from 76 until 88. Um, that kind of went away. We moved to Modesto in 89 and started Duarte Nursery, where we produce grapevines, almond trees, pistachio trees, walnut trees for farmers throughout California and the Western United States. Nice. Okay, so why is the federal government uh, fining you potentially $2.8 million? And also for something that's for wheat, right? So uh, uh, give us the story here. Well, in, in 2012, we bought a property up in Northern California above Sacramento where there's lots of water. If you're growing crops, and you've heard about it in the last couple of years, farmers and water and the drought, it's just a great place to grow tree and vine crops because there is a great groundwater resources. There's great surface water resources. So we thought, you know, we'd diversify our investments and maybe buy some land up north to one day put into orchard crops and uh, move where the water is. Good idea for any farmer. Sure. And so we weren't ready to put the orchards in. So we planted a wheat crop in the uh, winter of 2012. What was there before when you bought it? It was grain raised rolling grassy rangeland you just see cows out there there's a few wheat fields out there there's a few orchards in the area but at the time we bought this property it was just grazing land with cows on it barbed wire fences um, show me can we talk about what you just show me here so the, so sure. the, the, all right so i'll just tell you the conclusion of this before we just literally went on the air a second ago is uh john goes yeah and you know the mexican tortilla riots and I was like, what are you talking, is, is that what you told me, the what? Well, okay, so <laughs> in 2000, if, if you look at this land, it was farmed to wheat in, in the 1970s and early 1980s when wheat prices were very high. Okay. And so it was profitable to farm wheat. And this, this land isn't the best wheat growing ground in the world, but it's good wheat growing ground when prices of wheat are high. So 
from the 90s through 2000s, this was just grazing land. Wheat prices were very low. I've got a chart here, but yep. you don't need a chart. In 2000, remember back in 2010, 11, 12, there was a world food shortage. We had the Arab Spring popped up greatly because there's a global food shortage mm -hmm. and food prices were, were going above what people in, in the Middle East could afford to pay for food. And that caused a lot of the political instability there. There were, in Mexico City, there were the tortilla riots where the price of corn had gone up so high that tortillas were getting expensive. And a lot of people in Mexico couldn't afford food in their, in their weekly budgets. And that was causing political instability. So as, you know, being American farmers, providing national and international food security, we planted a wheat crop in a wheat field Makes sense. So that had been formed, farmed to wheat previously. So supply was low, prices go higher, that sends a signal out to the marketplace. You you are a farmer, you said, great, I can make some money here growing some wheat, we'll provide some food for the world, sounds great. That's what you do. Yeah. So you bought the, bought the land, planning to one day grow some vines and trees, but you said, hey, in the meantime, let's grow some wheat. Yes. Perfect. So you see, you saw a picture of the land. This is rolling grassy hills. And you know, every field in America, every farmland in America has a tiny bit of a low spot. It has a drainage. It has some part of the land where the water either pools or collects to run off. It would have to, right? Because what else would it do? Yeah, in some cases you get an amount of water that percolates through the soil and sandier soils, but most of the time, land has wet spots and low spots okay so so the water that used to irrigate or rain or whatever it pools in this one area how big of an area are we talking about oh some of these vernal pools they call them could be as big as your living room some as small as your couch others as big as your house but in okay. that range these aren't these in 450 acre wheat field these look really small okay and and in this property out of the 450 acres maybe 20 acres or 22 acres of the property made up this type of low depressions and wetlands. Okay, so sorry, so one more time. So 450 acres, you said how many acres are the? 22. Okay. So, so not, and, and different pockets of it. And they're just and sprinkled across the property. Okay. So you'll never see a wheat field where someone's gone around these. You, they're always farmed through. You, you, you can't destroy them. What does that them. mean exactly, farmed through? Well, you gotta take a disc or a plow and you've gotta just till the ground through the, across the whole field and you go up and down over these and, and till them. Our tillage was four to seven inches deep. So you put cows back on there a couple of years later, you can't even see where the ground was tilled. Yeah, okay. I mean, it, it goes away. So you just, you just farm, you just keep going. You, did, you plow over it yeah. just like you're plowing the field, whatever. Okay. No, nobody's ever pulled a permit to plow these things. Nobody's ever gone around them in their plowing operations. Or okay. Nobody I've seen. Um, <clears throat> so we get, a, we get a letter from the Army Corps of Engineers one day in 2012 while we have our farming activities going out there. And he says, your deep ripping. Now, deep ripping is what you do before you put orchard to vineyards in. It can be three feet deep. It can be four feet deep. It can be seven feet deep. But you're, you're going out there and you're just ripping the ground up and breaking the subsoil. And, you know, if you do deep rip a vernal pool like this with that kind of an implement, you're going to destroy its hydrology. It's no longer going to perch water, which is the idea with deep ripping is that okay. you want good drainage. So when you plant orchards and vineyards, the roots get down in the soil and they don't get waterlogged in the spring and winter and the trees and vines don't die. Now, every vineyard and orchardist in California in these types of properties knows that you go around the vernal pools for that. In that situation, because yeah. you, otherwise you would destroy it. You destroy it. You're I mean, not in the market of destroying these. We vernal don't want pools. to destroy them. We've, we've planted vineyards and orchards in other areas. We serve thousands of customers in California that avoid these vernal pools up and down the state. We know the rules and we would have followed them had we been planting a vineyard or orchard. Which they said you were doing, which you were not. Which we were not. So. They, they, they claim we're, di we're ripping three feet deep through these vernal pools. We tell them we're not. How, do they, how would they even know that? They've got one guy as a field agent in five counties in Northern California. And he's <laughs> driving along and he sees an implement out there with a big, you know, a big tillage implement behind it, big tractor with a big tillage implement behind it. 
Now that implement's got a set wheel. If farmers want to rip a foot deep, they take a three foot deep ripper yeah. or plow and they set the set wheel at a foot. Certainly, that makes sense. You don't have a one foot deep implement and a one and a half wow. foot deep implement and a so three really foot that's deep. it so he was just driving by took a casual observation Come took on. a few photos on the side of the road saw the saw there's some mud splashed up because you've got to wait till it rains a little to get some moisture so you can till the ground and um just decided we were doing this now in this county now this is an ag country up here like it is up in, in northern california you have in every county you have a, a usda office with multiple staff members um, that's the National Resource Conservation Service that interfaces with farmers on these issues. You have a farm service agency, which deals with kind of the, some of the crop subsidies and whatnot, then some crops there are. Um, this was not going to be a subsidized crop in any way. Um, you've got a cooperative um, extension, which is University of California Cooperative Extension with farm advisors work out of to work with um, mm -hmm. with um, agriculturalists. And then you've got an ag commissioner's office, which has multiple staff members. So there's four offices, state and local, that have multiple staff in each of them to deal with these kinds of issues in farmers. The Army Corps of Engineers has one guy in five counties doing a flyby. And then when he decides that he doesn't like what he sees on my property, rather than taking an effort to understand what he sees on my property, he sends me a cease and desist notice. Uh, a cease and desist to what? Farming the field? Yeah, cease and desist all operations in waters of the United States. Um, so we send a letter back to him and say, hey, have one of our, our environmental attorney, Rhonda Lucas, who's worked with us for years on a few issues, sends a letter back and say, hey, exactly what do you mean? Freedom of Information Act, show us all the information you've got on my client's property. Why do you believe they're farming wetlands or destroying wetlands? They send back a second letter says, you've been kicked up to enforcement in Sacramento now. Tell us everything you did. Oh, my gosh. So the, bur <laughs> the burdens of proof not even on it, yeah. them anymore to prove how that. So, so this could have been stopped in a rational world with that guy swinging by your front door. Yeah. Knocking on the door and saying, hey, John, you know, what's yeah, you I'm, know, I'm from I, here. What's this thing? What are you doing? I offered to meet him out there. I said, I'll meet you out of the property. We'll show you what we're doing. We're not. We're is, not that easy, is that easy to prove to a rational person? Hey, we're not tilling. Would you say seven feet? Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a fact, and it's you know you can take a piece of rebar out into a field and you can stick it in the ground. Exactly, that's what I'm getting. I mean, <laughs> you, you're like, how deep can you it, pull push it down? Yeah, you, that's how deep the tillage is going. You walk around, you do that a bit, you've got a very clear idea of what what actually is happening. So the whole thing could have been stopped right there. Could have been stopped. Could have been stopped right there. Unreal. Can we take a break? Can you stick around, John? Um, so Duarte uh, Farm Nursery, right? Nursery and yes, trees. Yes, Duarte tree. Nursery. Um, Modesto and the fine that you're facing right now is it right that it's 2.8 million? 2.8 million in fines, but they also want me to give 20 to 30 million dollars to wetland mitigation. No banks. way! Yes, for something that you didn't. Yeah, they you didn't want. Do. They they want me to give money to private interests that can then decide what to do with that Whoa, money. Well, hold on. This is a whole new element to the story. What private interests? Wetland mitigation banks. These are private banks that, that do wetland mitigation. If somebody wants to build a shopping mall over some vernal pools or something like a non-exempt type of uh, impact on a vernal pool, they can buy mitigation credits. Now they're trying to tell agriculture, we have to transfer huge amounts of our wealth to mitigation banks if we want to continue producing food. With any basis on, like, can they force you to do that? Or are they just threatening you to do well, that? Well, the, they're asking the judge, to, as part of her ruling, to force us to give 20 to $30 million Whoa. to wetland mitigation banks. Oh, there's a whole new level to the story yeah. there. That's so interesting. Think think the, the home lenders that got um, investigated by the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau that were told to give money to ACORN and other inner city yes. urban activist interests. It's the same thing, only rural now. Whoa. All right. All right, really interesting. Uh, John, his son uh, Isaac is here to talk about this. 
like why are these wetlands a thing? And and the word navigable waterways. That's going to be the key word of the next sentence. Navigable waterways. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. For a couple of reasons. First of all, um, people are, it's a story about regulations and environmentalism, but businesses and business owners are hit with these, these regulations all the time. And so many business owners are afraid to speak out against them. So many business owners are afraid to, to go public with it. They don't want to rock the boat anymore. And they just get taken for a ride time and time and time again. And that's why I'm so grateful that, that Duarte and the Duarte family uh, has decided not to take this line down and they're going to fight it, even if it means costing them a lot more money. If it can stop the government from, from doing this with every other farm, which they will, why would they stop <laughs> unless stopped? And, and I'm really grateful that, uh, that John, you are, are speaking out against this. John said that they're, that they're trying to make him uh, give how much? Twenty to thirty million? Yeah. To that's insane. To uh, private environmentalist groups, basically. So, the, so um, wetland mitigation groups. So, John, let me see if I can if I can rearticulate this. Let me know if there's anything wrong. So, you have your four hundred fifty acres. About twenty two acres of that splattered around the whole area, right there. Are these pools of of water? You show me a picture though. Like I don't see water in them though. No, right? don't, don't picture water in the wetlands. Don't that that's the first thing you got to get okay. past here. So what are this they? is dry grassland with a few low spots where water pools and puddles after the rainstorm for a couple of weeks. So if it rains, you know, in California here, it rains, you know, December, January, February, March, April, a little bit after that for the entire summer and through the fall, these are not wetlands. These are bone dry. So what's the benefit of them from an environmentalist perspective? Projecting a bit, but I mean, one thing is they harbor a little, do you remember sea monkeys? When you're a kid? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Those are fairy shrimp. Now, the fairy shrimp have survived two ice ages. They're up and down California. <laughs> they and can't handle Duarte nurseries, though. They can't, they can't make it. But God, don't plant weed. I mean... <laughs> so, so, that's, so there's like little microorganisms in these pools. Yeah, they're little, uh, little mollusks of some... Crustaceans of some sort. That, that do what? That exist as an endangered species. Do um, like birds eat them? Are we part of like the You know, they're, they're very chain? ephemeral. I mean, they, they survive as dry little eggs in the... Uh, in the vernal pools most of the year, they can survive for years as just dry little, basically, spores. And then oh. when the water comes, they, they hatch and they populate and they have a little sea monkey habitat life oh. for a few weeks. And then they go back, when the dr- water dries up, they go back into very small little eggs and oh, they really? just wait for the next rain no event. No kidding. Okay, yeah. so, so you got these on your land and your uh, plows, when you're plowing wheat, uh, just go right over them. They go, go right over them, yep. And they just go, how, how deep do they go? The, the, plows. the plowing we did was not 36 inches deep as the field agent for the Army Corps thought it was. When they put a team of 10 federal inspectors on the property to do the expert report for the Department of Justice as they prosecute us, they were out there for two weeks. 
They dug up the the vernal pools with an excavator, two feet deep, three feet deep, twenty different Which times. Which did way more damage than locations. you ever did. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh my gosh! And then came back, and after twenty vernal pool excavations and and um, pebble distribution studies in my plow furrows and all kinds of other bonehead oh. things, they came back and said the tillage was four to seven inches deep. So hold on, I can't get past the fact that they absolutely did more damage to these vernal pools than you ever did. But they no. filled the hole back up. Yeah, most of the time. So so they so they came to the conclusion that you did that. No, we didn't. We weren't plowing in in any depth that would destroy these things. So what's what's so what's what now? Because if they came back and said it's only a couple inches, what's the problem? We don't know. Aren't you read like, this? Listen, listen to this. Here here is their um. A quote from the Department of Justice expert report after putting a dozen guys out there for, or a dozen people out there for two weeks. How could, first, I'm sorry, I couldn't get past the expense of the taxpayer for that. Right? Like there's nothing else going on in the Department yeah. of Justice's world that they had to send how many people? They sent 12 people out <laughs> for 12 days, stayed in Tehama County, where they, you have to stay at the Indian Casino because there's not very many places to stay up there. And they, they investigated, they did pebble distribution studies in my plow furrows. Wow. They mapped, in fact, they mapped and proved that all the vernal pools, they have a previous mapping from 1994 and another one from 2012. And they're all there. In 2014, they, 16, they did another mapping and proved that all of the vernal pools are exactly where they were in 1994 and 2012. Okay, so case closed. What's the problem? It's not pro- clo- closed yet. You've got to listen to their narrative. All right, let's hear it. From the, from the experts, from the Department of Justice expert team. If these plant associations were compared to neighborhoods of people in a small town, no, then the tillage could be compared to a tornado that blows in and completely uproots and rearranges the entire functioning community of neighborhoods. The furrow tops now serve as small mountain ranges, microtopographic high spots. That's your tax dollars at work. That's their, that's their theory of prosecution on this tape. They case. just compared a little... A little vernal pool, a little wetland the size of a living room to, and you tilling it to a hurricane coming through and uprooting a community? Yes. Yes, they did. It's in their report. I'm only using their stuff. All the photos I've, well, the, the, the excavator, uh, that's my photo. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, the vernal pool mapping, I have here, what is normal crop rotations? Normal farming practices are supposed to be exempt under the Clean Water Act. We're not even supposed to be talking about this. They have in their expert report, a page I showed you a little bit ago, Mike. Farm Knowledge, a complete manual of successful farming written by recognized authorities in all parts of the country based on sound principles and actual experiences of real well, farmers. That's a good thing. Yeah, it is, except it was prepared exclusively for Sears and Roebuck Company in 1914. <laughs> so what are they using What are they using that for? That is, that is explaining why what I was doing, planting wheat when it's profitable and grazing cows when it's not, is not normal farming. What they think is normal farming was defined in 1914 farming guide from Sears and Roebuck. There's no way. What are you talking about? Like, where did they print that? Where, that's, this was in the, just... There were 14 pages of this in the Department of Justice expert report for this prosecution. The Department of Justice. I can't. Sorry, John. I got I to gotta repeat this. Just like, so you're telling me the Department of Justice at the end of their investigation to try and. And what were they trying to pin you on on this one? Like, like you shouldn't be growing wheat. That, that if it was a normal farming practice, it would be expressly exempt under the Clean Water Act. The Clean Water Act is actually a very well composed, very well negotiated piece of legislation that solved a real problem. We had drinking water problems back when the Clean Water Act went through. There's no question it was necessary and good. And the protections for farmers are very robust. These guys have to go to the moon and Mars yeah. to find pr- prosecution theories to prosecute me under the Clean Water Act. It's a very well-constructed law. 
Right. And so, so what, so what they're do they doing, have to prove? Yeah, they have to prove that you... They have to prove that, A, I was in wetlands, that I destroyed the wetlands, and C, that I w- wasn't conducting what are normal farming practices. And the, the, the not normal farming practice you did was growing wheat. Was growing wheat in a wheat field with four to seven inch tillage to suggest that, it, that farming wheat when it's profitable and not farming it when it's not profitable isn't part of a normal crop rotation. According. They referred to a 1914 farm guide from Sears and Roebuck Company. Oh my goodness. Total shakedown. Wow, yeah. it's a shakedown on all these farmers to get the money. The Sheriff of Nottingham all over yes, again. to get the money to these environmentalist groups. Unbelievable. one 900 Mike Slater Show on The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Hey, Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. So, insane story. I don't know if we can go all the way back through it again to, to recap, but just know that they're being fined uh, $2.8 million. And then, and then the shakedown, which I think is, is the craziest part of this whole story, which is on top of that, why don't you also give a cool 20, 30 mil to these environmentalist groups that will then give us money to get reelected um, and then we'll go away. I mean, it's a total shakedown. It's really not too different. The other day we were talking to uh, city council member in Escondido and uh, long story, but they wanted to put an immigration detention center in Escondido and the city council said no. So the ACLU, ACLU sued the city for $7 million and said, well, we'll go away for half a mil. And it's, like, you, it's just a total, like, just total shakedown moves all the time. But didn't you give another analogy off the air too, right? About the, oh, about the banks. Yeah. You see with the, um, a lot of the home mortgage brokers and lenders got investigated by the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau that's part of Dodd-Frank. And you see it in the Wall Street Journal's report on this in a number of different articles where the, the banks are fined by this kangaroo court and buried in a federal agency with very little accountability and told, hey, you can give a $140 million fine to us or you can give us $20 million and give these urban activist acorn-type groups $40 million. Wow. So, so what does the bank do? Do they pay a bigger fine to the government or uh, like pay less money, but to these groups that, you know, are against, you know, everything yeah. that they stand for, you know, right? like just not good things. Same thing here. So you, you're now going to have to give money to these environmentalist groups who want to rewild California. This is a term we've talked about a lot on the show. Can you explain rewilding in California? Well, I don't think anyone can because we don't have <laughs> the wild we had before farming. We used to have buffalo. You know, so if you're going to try and return California rangelands or California to its natural state, farm ground into its quote natural state, exactly, you've got to introduce species that are no longer here, and we really can't manage our communities with them here. We can't have giant buffalo herds anymore. We can't have huge packs of wild wolves. It doesn't work. They're not compatible with us. Um, so if you want to rewild these areas, you'll take the cows off of them. You'll take the farming off of them, and they'll grow, but they'll overgrow. There'll be huge fire hazards. There'll be huge air quality disadvantages for us with that. Um, it's back, what is it, about 10 years ago, you had George Bush in the White House and you had the, the Healthy Forest Act passed because you saw just east of L.A., all the chaparral bushlands had overgrown and were, were 
were burning at a point where they were threatening cities and threatening, definitely devastating the air quality down here. We've already got impacts. So this rewilding strategy is a very difficult strategy to take forward and picture how it actually works. The farmers farming this land are doing so very sustainably. They've got soil conservation, They've got um, optimizing the use of the land. They're producing foods. There's an economic activity that allows them to afford over these millions and millions of acres practices that keep the dirt in the dirt, in the soil, that keep the ground um, optimally beneficial to both, as both habitat and as food producing. One fallacy is that agriculture consumes natural resources. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you actually look at the wild and you look at species diversity and you compare wild, unfarmed ground to irrigated agriculture. Irrigated agriculture is a biodiversity resource. We have more coyotes, we have more rabbits, we have more squirrels, we have more wildlife in irrigated agriculture than would be there without irrigating agriculture. Why is that? Because we bring water in. If yeah. you bring water into a, in, onto lands, you, you create life. Yeah. And you, you, know, you don't protect every bit of that water only for your farming system, you, you have canals. I live on a creek in Modesto that if the irrigation district wasn't wasn't providing water to that creek through the summer, it wouldn't be, be nearly as biodiverse and beautiful and um, an ecologic resource in the way it is now. So, so when the environmentalists come in and rewild, they're causing a ton of damage to what they say they're trying to do. Yeah, and the same thing's going to happen out on rangeland. You understand that the, the western rangeland, the first thing those cattle families did when they went out there was create water resources. They dug shallow wells. They put up stock ponds. They, they trapped water and they created water resources. The wildlife needs that water. There's much more wildlife on grazed um, Bureau of Land Management land mm -hmm. where the farmers are, where the grazers and ranchers are active than where they've been pulled off. If you don't have their commitment to keeping these water resources sustained and available to all types of life out there, you lose the biodiversity on the rangeland. Makes perfect sense. So what do you think drives these environmentalists? Ignorance and power, bad combo. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't think they fully understand what advantages farmers and ranchers bring to the natural resources that we that we conduct our how operations can, in. How can the farmers be the bad guys though? That like out of all the people that you could vilify, like I like I, I don't agree, but I understand the oil executives, right? Let's go after the oil companies, right? They're big bad. Like I get that. I get going after the bankers, the greedy bankers. I don't get going after the farmers. I don't like where does that come from? I, I don't know. I, um, I, I'm really happy to have the opportunity on your show here in an urban market, although one I'm very familiar with because I grew yeah. up here, but to be able to come into an urban market and really share our story from the agricultural point of view and explain to people, this is what hurts your food prices. This is what hurts jobs and, and our economy in rural America. These, these types of government overreach and abuses matter to everybody because they come in 31 flavors. Yeah. I mean, this isn't the only thing governments can do to suppress jobs hurt rural communities and and take away your rights. There's other examples. This one's just my little story. Well, your little story that's tens of millions of dollars. Um, and I, I don't want to be dramatic. Help, I mean, help us understand, like, could be the end of your company or what do you do? I mean, well, your son's right here. John or Isaac, do you want to take over the company? Is that the plan? <laughs> You're going to be a farmer too? Yeah, so... Um, or, you, or is he in a band? Is John, Isaac going to be a musician? Because it, it's sad. He's like, I'm rebelling against the family business. <laughs> He's a good uh, kid. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of scary as a future farmer for California just to see all the stuff that can happen. I, Like most people, I just don't understand how this can be something a government can do. Um, and so it's really kind of scary to me. It's I don't understand what the incentive could be for young farmers if uh, mm. things like this keep happening. 
to uh to the current farmers we have like why would i want to farm if this could happen to me you know? and and we desperately need you to farm <laughs> we desperately need that because i don't i don't know how and i'm not growing my own food so anything we do that gets in the way of people like isaac you farming is a big problem a big major problem yeah well look at what we did to a whole generation of biotechnology researchers all the kids that, that the best and brightest that went to tech schools to learn how to make gmo corn or wheat or apples and um we basically from the left bastardized that technology into being something evil and took the companies who invested in that and all the people, all the young people who invested their energy into being scientists in that area and disenfranchised them on a very arbitrary set of standards against it. Who, who's anti-technology? I mean, we can make food cheaper, more abundant, more plentiful all over the world. And these kids are stepping up to take science degrees, go to UC San Diego or um, any of the other big, ag schools, Cal Poly, Davis, um, yep. UC Riverside. And instead of making them heroes, which we've always held heroes and farmers in a very high yeah. regard, we're lambasting them with, with Monsatan and Fishberry and all kinds of insane derogatory accusations for trying to improve our food production systems. Yep. So yes. I, I get I, very, very important to me what Isaac said. I hope that some crazy kids in the future want to go into farming, <laughs> but you know, how do you, how do you, make a compelling argument when the government treats farmers and business like this. Yes. They can arbitrarily drive, literally drive by your farm and take you down Yeah, while admitting that you never broke the law and that everyone else has always done it this way. And you just happen to be the very first person that we're going to take down on this new arbitrary standard. That's I'm the insane. I'm the first one who poked him in the nose. Oh, uh, that's probably right. You're probably right. Yeah. No, you're right. And good for you. Uh, real quick, got to run, but can we talk about navigable waterways? Because this is an important term that started it all. Really. Sure. So you saw President Trump recently wrote a WOTUS directive. Waters of the United States is WOTUS. Now, under the Clean Water Act, it was there to protect waters of the United States from pollution, meaning factories dumping their bilge into, into rivers and streams and harbors catching fire. Very necessary, very important law at the time. It was written in the 70s. What's happened is the waters of the United States jurisdictional limits. Right. What is a river? What is a navigable waterway? What waters does, do we actually protect under the Clean Water Act from point source pollution coming out of factories? So this, this was originally meant for something like the Mississippi River. Yeah, and it's tributaries and things you could actually float a boat on. Yeah. Or you could dump significant amounts of spillage and waste into. Hence, navigable waterways. So yeah. something you can drive a boat down or, or ride a boat down. And so since then, of course, bureaucracies being what they are, they've attempted to expand what is a navigable waterway, both through their agency rules and the courts. And there's been some vague court rulings um, that have allowed the agencies to really step in and claim under the Obama WOTUS rule that, that President Trump withdrew. He was saying that everything within 1,200 feet of a river, everything within a few hundred feet of a vernal pool, if American Farm Bureau Federation did an important job. They actually mapped certain states what would be a jurisdictional water and subject to this kind of scrutiny yep. in America if we applied Obama's WOTUS rule. It was 95% of America. Unbelievable. And under, under Obama's WOTUS rule, according to Don Parrish, American Farm Bureau, he said, we looked at your land and we think 100% of this property, you see that was kind of rolling grasslands, tips and yep. bottoms and everything, would have been jurisdictional wetland under the Obama WOTUS rule, meaning that every farmer in America would have to pull a permit to farm their land 
and produce food. Because if, it's a navigable waterway. Yeah. Or near a navigable waterway. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're talking about isolated wetlands, little tiny pockets of, and low spots and dark spots in your grasslands. Yes, you said this little, this little, little moist ground the size of a couch yeah. in the middle of your field. That's a navigable waterway. And also now we control the land 1,200 feet in every direction from it. Yeah, numbers like that, depending how yeah. big it is and how big the setbacks are. But yes, to where they virtually control all land in America as jurisdictional land under the Clean Water Act. Wow. So so go, Trump put a stop to that. Yeah. So go just go look out your backyard. I know when I grew up down here, we had canyons and we had some wildlands in around the neighborhoods. Just look at those wildlands and say, is there any place water collects or pools on these wildlands? Is there a drain? Now start walking and pace 1,200 feet off of that drainage each direction. That is jurisdictional wetland now under the, under the bump. So, so Donald Trump is going the right way. I don't think the Trump administration wants any part of this prosecution, but the deep state, the swamp, the prosecution team in the Department of Justice yep. is pushing forward on it. And we're really hoping with your help, with American Farm Bureau, with the Pacific Legal Foundation, who's oh, a very important great. group, they're representing yep, us on, good. The, on the complaint. Um, with their help, we're gonna, we're gonna create a lot of noise and we're hopefully gonna get this on the radar at the highest levels of administration to where yep. they, can, they can ask this prosecution team Waltz, Tango, Foxtrot, what is this? There's people wake up every day in New York on this, as you said, or in DC, in this prosecution team. Every day they work for the Department of Justice and oh, honey, what are you doing today? Oh, we're going after this farmer Modesto because <laughs> like that's their job and that's been their job for a long time. Every, like That's gotta stop. Go do something important with your life because this guy's trying to feed people and trying to employ people. We Get have a GoFundMe a account. Oh, good, good, where? Duarte stands up on GoFundMe. Uh, we've raised about 30 grand, but a lot of this is coming out of our company's pockets, not yeah. the PLFs. They're, they're prosecuting the government for our due process rights, Fifth Amendment rights. Good. We are defending ourselves out of our own accounts at the nursery, and it is hugely straining us. So we have Duarte stands up on GoFundMe. I tell people, I don't know who can give five bucks. I don't know who can give a thousand. Whatever you can give, and then Facebook the heck out of it. Get it out there. Use social media and create awareness. Yeah, because uh, most, most business owners... <laughs> They get slammed with this stuff all the time, but don't want to rock the boat. So I'm really glad you're uh, you're out here. D u a r t e Duarte stands up uh, on GoFundMe. John Isaac, you guys are awesome. Thanks for coming all this way. Let's stay in touch, all right? Thanks, Mike. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater show on the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Slider Crusaders, there's, there's so many uh, so many angles to the story, as I mentioned earlier. Super grateful for the Duarte family for fighting. But how, how about, let's just talk about the growth of bureaucracy here. So this all started with the, defi the definition of the word navigable waterways. Navigable waterways. That meant the Mississippi River. <laughs> like something you could put a, you could float a boat down. And now it's expanded. What a perfect example. It's expanded to mean anything where there's water, like any place where there's water, any little puddle is a navigable waterway. Do you remember the story of this? Is, I think this, I think this is actually just California. I can't, I can't remember if it was California federal government. I think it was federal government. Actually, they were going to 
regulate. They were going to take um, regulations that were designed for the oil companies, like oil spills, and apply them to dairy farms because there's oil in milk, right? There's like natural oils in milk. So to prevent, I don't think it was, so in case like there's, you spill milk at a dairy farm or milk touches the, uh, the ground, they classify that as an oil spill. And it's like, what are you talking about? So these dairy farms have to go through all these expenses. So that's an example of the growth of bureaucracy. There's another one, navigable waterways. And we're going to include the Duarte, like a puddle on their property. You're counting that as a navigable waterway. Come on. And the shakedown of this, the shakedown is unbelievable. Hey, pay our fine. I mean, if you don't, <laughs> you're going to make it even bigger. Maybe go to jail. Uh, or make this massive donation to this environmentalist group. This is how these environmentalist groups stay in power. It's how they get their money. When the government can, can go after a business, forth, force them to fork over cash to a private group, how is that possible? How is that legal? And this is even after the government admits that they don't have, they didn't destroy a single wetland on their farm. So the entire thing's based on nothing. And they can still shake them down in order to get, uh, get them off their back. And then here's the thing. Duarte, let's say they pay, they pay out. Then what happens? What do they get? Nothing. They're back to zero. I'm so glad they're fighting back against this. And every business needs to fight against this. This is just thuggery. This is theft and deceit. And it's horrible. It has to stop. And it's just infested in D.C. And you got people in the Justice Department who every single day go to work for, for months now, years now, so that they can go after the Duarte nursery for like, get like get a life. And hurry up, Mr. Trump. Drain the swamp. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On The Blaze Radio Network. <laughs>